0: This Motley Fool podcast is brought to you by Cricket. Cricket makes perfect, classic, and easygoing polo shirts. For 20% off your first purchase, go to cricketshirts.com slash fool and use the promo code FOOL. That's C-R-I-Q-U-E-T shirts.com slash fool. Promo code FOOL. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm David Gardner. A delight to have you with me the final week of October. Happy Halloween in advance. In recent years, I haven't really dressed up, but I did get an orange t-shirt from my wife some years ago that simply says on it in black font, this is my Halloween costume. Pretty lame, I know, but it still works at parties. All right, so we have a fun episode ahead of us. It is your mailbag. But it's also comboed with what we'll call part two and closer for our non-political pre-election special, which was the focus that we had last week for understandable reasons. There's a big election happening in the United States in the next few weeks. I wanted to speak to that some. But where we left it, and you've helped me out a lot over the last week since we left it, where we left it was, let's talk about what I think is even more important than any near-term election, and that is, what are the core values of the United States of America. And I asked you that. I asked you to use the hashtag USA Core Values, which some of you did, thank you. And let me know what you think the answer is. And that goes for whether you're an American, and many of us are, or not, because we very much value um, external perspective. But the reason I think it's an important conversation, and why I want to speak to that first today before we get to the mailbag, is because I think just like organizations, that talk about their core values. I even know families that talk about what their core values are. Um, I think that it's time that our nation does that a little bit more explicitly. I think we would all benefit from the unification that results in even just having the conversation. because I think, just as corporations try to align people or universities, not-for-profits try to align people around their values, and that brings a sense of focus and a sense of togetherness and clarity in terms of what we stand for. I think we're at a point now where our nation would benefit from that. And so, You and I have pieced it together over Twitter and some emails over the last week, and I'm going to present what I consider to be my five core values, with your help, that represent America, as best I can do it. Now, before I do this, and it's not going to be a big long screed here, I'm just going to give you a couple of thoughts on each of them. Before I do this, I want to say this is just my take. This was very much helped by you and what you've sent me, but for me, I'm not looking to lay down what I think we all should believe in. I'm just saying where I am right now and and I hope you remember what I said last week which is that even just having the conversation is what I think is important. So, I'm having a conversation with you about this and I encourage you to have conversations with those around you. And indeed, if you're not an American and the next few minutes or so won't feel as applicable to you as a rule breaker investing podcast listener, I would encourage you in your country to have the exact same conversations. I think the more that we have clarity and focus and understanding about what we stand for, the better off we all are. And so, my list I'll just present them one at a time with a thought or two on each. And the first one I wanted to share and I heard this from listeners William Housley, um, Doug Brock, Kurt Elia, Troy, Troy Springer, you sent this to me as well. It's not surprising at all. I think this word comes quickly to many Americans today. I think a clear core value for the United States of America. You can call it liberty, or you can call it freedom. Both words work for me. We'll go with liberty. Um, It's very clear that that's how this nation started, and it's something that we all probably take for granted too much today, but so much benefit from here in 2016 and all the years in between, is that sense that you can pursue what you think is happiness, and certainly within limits, For example, you need to do so legally, but you can do and say what you will. In fact, one of the most disruptive innovations of the last few centuries, I think, is freedom of speech. That is still so radical, looked at with the background of history, but even just looked at in the present day today. So many people, so many places, can't say what they think. and That's something that's so important and powerful uh, for the United States of America. So, Liberty and freedom have many other roles that they play in our lives. Um, I'm not going to speak too long to this. I'm just going to say, for me, that was probably the proverbial no-brainer when you're thinking about what America's core values are. In fact, for Bill Housley, who dropped me a note, he said a little bit. I want to read what he said. He said, Freedom, we are free to be religious or not. We can even change our beliefs. In many other nations, people are required to carry identity cards stating their religion and ethnic identity. He went on to say, we're free to travel and work from any of our 50 states and territories. I have friends in another nation who cannot travel 10 miles from their home to visit family who live on the other side of a wall. And Bill went on, Number 3, we are free to speak our disagreements and... I'll just conclude his excerpt with um, his closing line here, which was, Yet, why can't we be more kind when we do so? All right, freedom, liberty, number one. Number two, number two for me, I'm going to go with the word enterprise. A few of you used it, and it comes quickly to my mind because it reminds me of businesses. Uh, that so much make up American society and have for a few centuries. Whether small businesses or large ones, each of them its own undertaking by an entrepreneur or entrepreneurs, people who saw something difficult, took up the challenge, and went on to create lots of value for their customers, for their employees, for their shareholders. Part of being enterprising is being willing to take risk. I'm not going to say that's a uniquely American trait. That would be arrogant. But I'm going to say this it is a very american trait in fact i was invited to speak in the uk about 15 years ago by the us ambassador to britain at the time i was at a conference in london and i was there representing american entrepreneurs and the topic was why americans let themselves fail and why others in this case britain won't so Nobody really aspires when they create a business to fail. I'm happy to say the one business I've created has not so far, and 23 years later. But the British were envious of our ability to fail and restart here in the United States. And I'm, I'm going to assume things have loosened up a little bit in Britain, but maybe, for my British Rule Breaker listeners, you know this, that it's really devastating to somebody's reputation. Um, and You can be sued for failure in a way that makes it very hard to take real risk. And to go back again after failing uh, in the UK. Again, that may or may not be still as accurate in 2016 as it was in around the year 2000 when I was at that conference, but I think it was really telling that they were having American entrepreneurs in talking about the importance of being able to fail and taking risk. And so I think so many good things have come from our willingness as a nation to take risk, especially when so many other people, it's hard for them or nations, it's very hard for them um, to do that. I do want to say before I go on to number 3 that I also love that the word enterprise is of course a Star Trek reference as well. That too is very American. Number 3, number 3 is justice. Being fair. We can look back on our country and we can see times in which we were not just as a nation with with our laws, how we treated people, and some of us can probably look around today status quo and say It's still not just in this way or that. And what is just for one person sometimes isn't for another. But the rule of law, which has been so important in the United States of America, establishing property rights, Um, again, things that we take for granted as Americans. In fact, I was having a chat with my fellow American, and in this case, show producer Rick Engdahl, And he was talking about how last week I was comparing the speed at which business moves, if you think about the telephone, from rotary dial and then push button and then dumb phones and then mobile smartphones and now smartphones. And I was saying there aren't as many analogs that I see in government, but Rick did say, hey, hold on, Dave. Um, We had Jim Crow laws at one point and now we have. Barack Obama in the White House. So, there has been rapid progress as well in various aspects, and I certainly think that plays into justice. You know, when I looked at the Marine Corps leadership traits, the first one listed in the book Tie-Ins for Life that I referenced a couple months ago, the very first one is justice. Justice defined as the practice of being fair and consistent. A just person gives consideration to each side of a situation and bases rewards or punishments on merit. So justice is a wide, deep word. Again, it means different things to different people. Some of us think one person's just is another person's unjust. It's an ongoing conversation. It's one of those aspirational values as well. Um, we, we may never get it completely right, but I think it's such an important part of American society, American history, and where we are today. Number four. Number four, this one comes from the military, a word that I learned a little bit better there. And in fact, my friend Troy Springer, Troy, I'm referencing you again. You had this in your list as well. I checked mine before looking at yours. I looked at yours. I was like, I like yours. That was good. So we agree on this one. I'm going to go with the word resilience the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, toughness. Now, in the military, this is used all the time to sort out which soldiers. Are the toughest. Which ones will not quit versus those who don't? It's an aspirational quality. It is taught. It is looked for. It is when when we're trying to figure out who's going to be in special operations, resilience is a huge thing. And so I know that if you're in the military, not just in our country but others, you probably recognize this word. But maybe it was just that as I drove in today to do this podcast from my house in Washington D.C., I was listening to one of my favorite soundtracks, the Band of Brothers um, television theme and maybe that's why I'm just kind of arcing this way. But I think resilience um, is so much a part of the American character. If you think about the wars that we've fought, if you think about the never-say-die, never-quit attitude, in part our love of the underdog, all of this ties up to resilience. And I think resilience also fits really nicely next to the word enterprise because one definition of enterprise earlier I was playing up the business or company aspect of enterprise but another definition is a project or undertaking typically one that is difficult or requires effort so I really like this pairing of enterprise and resilience because enterprise is taking on something tough which we've done a lot in the United States of America and then resilience is not quitting and making it happen and I think that's such an important trait that we should never forget, and we should always be building. So, resilience. And that leads me to my fifth, and perhaps in some ways the most surprising of the five that I landed on. This one came straight to me from Nick Fuller. His Twitter handle is at Nick in Savannah. He tweeted out to RBI Podcast. He said, this is a list of 84,000 people who took the University of Pennsylvania Character Strengths Survey, the VIA, or Values in Action. So, this is a Pretty representative number of people, eighty-four thousand, and the number one strength that this survey found from this group of Americans, and I love this—the number one strength—and what I want to close out is my fifth core value. The phrase in this survey is kindness and generosity, but I need to pick one of those words. I'm going to pick kindness. I believe that kindness has always been at the heart of America. When I travel abroad, so often people are like, you Americans, you're so nice! Or, whenever I travel to your country, everyone is so nice. Now, the truth is, not everybody in any country is nice, but I think kindness is an important American trait that we see Every day. In fact, the generosity—speaking of kindness and generosity—of our nation is remarkable. I don't have numbers quick at ready hand. Anybody can please send us an email or give, give give us some research here. But the surveys I've seen have often shown that per capita charitable giving is highest in the United States of America, worldwide, and that's a great example of kindness. But how we treat each other, and our generosity and openness. To people, whether they're first generation immigrants or 10th generation immigrants, is important and very evident. And I think part of what's been difficult to close it up on the election, part of what's been difficult is that we've seen such a lack of kindness, such a lack of generosity, which strikes me now, looking backward with our conversation at the fore of my mind, as un American, as un American. And that's why it's been hard for a lot of people to have to even watch these presidential debates, or follow the last year or so of presidential campaigning, because so much of it, I think, based on the values that I think we've just identified, if you like mine, to summarize liberty, enterprise, justice, resilience, and kindness, I think we see something that doesn't really represent our nation, certainly our nation at its best. And I think we'll look back in history to this time and say, that was an odd election. That wasn't a new trend. That was a real outlier, and uh, and and so that's that's my hope, but it's also my belief. Um, and you know, there are a lot of other values I could have mentioned here. Optimism is certainly one of them. That's a uniquely American trait. Or we think about melting pot, um, or a lot of people would say equality. So we can, in the end, summarize all of a nation's character, any nation's character, mine or yours, with a few words. But when you pick your core values for your organization, whoever you are, you do need to be choiceful. You do need to be exclusive. And so that's what I've done my best to do. So I hope you like mine. They're not really mine because I learned a lot from you as you shared your thoughts. And I want to thank each of you for that. And to close, that is long form mailbag item number one. Now, before we go into the rest, thanks to Cricket for supporting this podcast. Cricket makes comfortable, sharp looking polo shirts with 100% certified organic cotton. They're super soft, they're as comfortable at the 19th hole as they are on the 18th. They come with removable collar stays to help keep your collar looking crisp and new, and they offer free, no-hassle returns and exchanges. Now, in conjunction with this week's ad, I did receive my free cricket shirt. I have not yet taken it out of the shrink wrap because it's not exactly golf weather around Fool HQ right now, but I'll say this, it is a handsome-looking, um, in my case, navy blue. I don't know if they thought that suited me or not. Got a little, I see a Tar Heel blue line as well. So um, it's, a, it's a very handsome shirt. As a special offer to Rule Breaker Investing listeners as well, you can get 20% off your first purchase by going to slash fool and use the promo code, yep, F O O L. So that's C R I Q U E T slash fool, promo code fool. All right, next up, mailbag item number two. couple inquiries coming in about Fool School, which I mentioned earlier this month. So thanks for asking about it. Golf and Ski at golf and ski88 on Twitter said, Where can I learn more about Fool School? And Timothy Huguenin, Tim, I hope I got your name pronounced right, at Tim Huguenin, H U G U E N I N, on Twitter. Tim, you said, glad to hear about Fool School. Hope you guys are still doing this when I have kids, and thank you very much. So, just a quick answer on this one. Fool School is our brand new initiative here at The Motley Fool to welcome in kids, K-12, to generally. Could be kids of all ages, but we're going to start with actual kids and have them in. We have volunteer teaching teams. Spend an hour with your kids. If you're a teacher, if you're a scout leader, a leader of kids, you can bring them into to Fool HQ. Sign up through School. At full.com, fullschool at full.com. Of course, it'll be a lot easier for you if you're in the greater DC area. We're here just outside Washington, DC, Full HQ in Alexandria, Virginia. But if you find yourself taking a big trip, let's say, about the time the cherry blossoms come out in March and you're bringing your class to Washington DC do feel free to avail yourself of that and we'll try to schedule you in fullschool at full.com thank you for that inquiry also i want to mention tim Huguenin's wonderful note that he sent us tim you 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 laid out kind of your story reacting earlier this month to my portrait of the investor as a young man podcast you sent your portrait of you as the investor, uh, you as a young man, I want to just share a portion of that, just because I think it's such a wonderful and human um, several paragraphs. I'm not going to read the whole thing because we don't have time this month, but I want to share this. So, Tim, you started your letter, David, since I was a kid, I always asked Dad why he never invested, since even as a young person, investing in stocks seemed to me like a no-brainer, though nobody I knew invested. Go figure. He always kind of shrugged and said he should have done it when he was young, but just never felt like he had the extra money, even though he probably could have done it if he'd made it a priority. In my early 20s, you wrote, Tim, I was able to get out of the little bit of college debt that I had, though my degree didn't help, but that's another story, almost entirely my fault, and decided that I was going to make investing a priority. However, my wife and I were not in a great stage financially, and I was forced to wait. About a year ago, my wife and I found ourselves doing just a little better financially and I started working on her, convincing her we needed to be investing. She and I both grew up in poor families. She was not raised in a home where the stock market was looked at as something that frugal, financially conservative people considered for some reason. She was very hesitant. The book lover in you will be jealous to hear that our small town, Pinedale, Wyoming, has a recycling center in which is a giant bin marked quote, bound books, end quote. People who are finished reading books and don't wish to keep them will throw them all in this bin. I suppose that after a while, someone comes and picks them up and they get recycled at a plant somewhere. However, many book addicts like myself take regular trips to the recycling center just to dig through the bin. I've come home with quite a few treasures, not the least of which was a copy of... Million dollar portfolio published in I think 2009, my first exposure to The Motley Fool. I began to read and my new knowledge as I went with my wife Emily, and we both began to learn how conservative and not like gambling and fun investing can be. A podcast addict as well as a book addict. I quickly found the TMF podcasts and I now listen to almost all of them regularly. I've listened to every Rule Breakers episode since I started, except a few of the most recent, which I plan on catching up to soon. You went on from there. I'll just read one more paragraph. It keeps going. It's great. Thank you, Tim. You said, Not long after I found that book, TMF offered an insanely discounted introductory price to a year of Rule Breaker's premium service. I think it was something like $40 for a whole year. I knew I couldn't afford the normal prices for your premium services, but since $40 was less than a tank of gas, I figured it couldn't hurt much to try, so I was able to be a true premium service fool for the past year, along with listening to your free podcasts. Well, Tim, thanks a lot. I think... Each of us can take something different, probably more than one thing from what you just shared. What I particularly appreciate is how the background that you came from didn't lend itself to be a place where you would think, yeah the stock market makes sense for me. We should do that. But for whatever reason, something special inside you recognized the benefit. You started by asking your dad, and then you just started to take action yourself. Um, Sounds like your wife is along for the ride. I hope she's enthusiastic for the most part about it. But it sounds like even if she weren't, and not everyone's spouse is, but you would keep doing it anyway because you know it's the right and good thing to do over the long term. And yes, the earlier we start, and I know I'm speaking to a younger man, a man far younger than I am, the earlier we start, the better off things are 10, 20, 30-plus years later. So A big thing that we're doing at The Motley Fool, and this is part of the reason we have Fool School now, is to get people going as early as possible. It's a real mandate for us. And I don't mean for us here at The Fool. I mean for all of us uh, as investors and earthlings. Tim, thanks a lot for a great note. All right, mailbag item number three. This one came to us from James Thomas by email. James, you know when you start this way, I'm going to include it on a mailbag through Rule Breaker Investing because you start with the phrase, as a fellow baseball fan. Uh, But this is not going to be about baseball. This is going to be about, about investing. So, as a fellow baseball fan, you began. I was hoping if I could hear your thoughts on an interesting quote from the most interesting man in baseball. copyright Dozakis, uh, and you're saying that that's Joe Madden. Now, Joe Madden, for those who don't know, is the manager of the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs right now are playing for the World Championship here in the American World Series. So, Going on back to your letter, after game one of the National League Championship Series just concluded, Madden was asked about the Dodgers' decision at the time to load the bases that eventually led to a pinch hit grand slam to win the game. Madden said that he would have done the exact same thing if he were on the Dodgers, saying, just because it doesn't work out, doesn't mean it wasn't the right thing to do." I'm going to read that quote again. Just because it didn't work out, doesn't mean it wasn't the right thing to do. That quote is a refreshing train of thought, you go on to say, for me, since our collective mindset seems to be to only focus on the results and not the process, and punish or praise accordingly. Could you give any examples, you conclude, of a situation you or fellow Fools had where you had a similar situation from your stock picks or life in general? Thanks for the great podcast. Loyal listeners since day one. Go Cubs! and Fool on. Sincerely, James Thomas. Thank you, James." I agree, by the way. Go Cubs! I tweeted this out, and I realized not everybody cares about baseball nearly as much as James and I do, but I tweeted out, for those who do care about baseball, um, that the run differentials again. I talked about this in a past podcast, but teams want to score more than they give up over the course of a season. That's how most sports work: soccer, football, etc. And if all of Major League Baseball was in a, a single division, all of the teams, based on how many runs they scored versus how many they gave up, the Chicago Cubs would have finished. 11 games ahead of every other team in Major League Baseball. So that's why I'm pulling for the Cubs. They really are clearly the best, by far the best team. All right, but you've asked a great question. Ultimately, James, this is like the process versus results question. This is a classic tension, and I always view it as a spectrum. On one far end of the spectrum is the concept of just process, getting your process right. Constantly being attuned to process, building process, making sure that you're obeying process, evolving the process where necessary, process, process, process. And the theory then is, you know, if you get that right, everything else good should flow from there. At the other end of the spectrum is results, a focus on results results orientation. Hey, what was the final score? Hey, how did that stock actually do? Um, At the end of the day, phrases like that. Understandably, many of us are focused on results. It's true in investing. At the end of the day, I hope you are getting good results. I hope I am, too. Uh, It's true for sports fans. It's true for commitments that we make in life. People are, understandably, lots of business people, sales people, focused on results. and I think it's important to recognize that both ends of the spectrum matter. And Both ends of the spectrum are things that you and I should be good at. We should be definitely trying to improve our processes, and we should definitely be focused on the results that we're getting. Often I find, and James, I think you're kind of there with me, that maybe people are too much one way or the other. Some people are so into their process that they don't actually pay that much attention to what happens after it, and they're not being disciplined by real-world market results. Uh, Real-world results that would help them see how they need to improve their process. On the other hand, there are some people who only care about results. and Flat-out luck that engendered those results, or non-sustainable activities that that generated those results. To hell or high water with that, the thinking goes. It's all about the results. So, I hope you can see that I believe that both ends of the spectrum are really important. And, like a lot of things, I think Aristotle helped us to see we need to find the golden mean. We need to find that line somewhere in the spectrum, given whatever particular context we're talking about here. Which is the appropriate place to place our focus, the golden mean? Sometimes you do need to be all about your process, and sometimes you need to be all about your results, not your process. And then, of course, sometimes we need to figure out where the balance is. Uh, to give an investing example, I'll just give one quick story. And it's a stock story, and the year was 2006. Hurricane Katrina had hit horrifically in 2005, and I decided that I was hearing too much talk at the time about how, you know, 2005 was bad and 2006 probably will be another really bad year. Uh, it's understandable after something horrific has happened, a tragedy, to be extra on our guard thinking that that's about to happen again, and I decided that I would try to recommend an insurance company, because I believed that the insurance company would be very profitable through 2006 as a consequence of continuing to write policies that everyone thinks they're going to have to pay off when the second big hurricane hits, and they won't have to, and I thought, this is great timing to enter. So, I picked Montpelier-Re. The ticker symbol was MRH. I picked it in Stock Advisor in January of 2006. I picked it again in August of 2006. Hurricane season in North America generally begins July or August or so, so I got both of those picks in for Stock Advisor members. I know some of you were with me owned the stock. I hope you still do. Anyway, Here's what happened with Montpelier Re. So, history will show no big catastrophic hurricane hit in 2006. So, I was kind of licking my chops and rubbing my hands together in 2007 as earnings began to come out, thinking we've got a big home run. Because I thought the process was right. I had the right thinking, took the right actions. It was a multiple recommendation. And the way that events played out, I thought I had it nailed. And when Montpelier Re reported its earnings in 2007, they were disappointing. And here's why. Because they hadn't written that many policies, because they had their heads under a pillow as a business worried about what might happen in 2006. In retrospect, this probably shouldn't have surprised me, Insurance people, in my experience, are typically pretty risk-averse people. So You could see how I had a rule-breaker mentality. My process was, we're going to make some money here because people are misreading what's going to happen with the weather. But the reality is, the company itself was not particularly aggressive. They were highly risk-averse. And so, the stock didn't really do much in 2007. Now, I have a happy ending for this story. Because this story is one where I thought I had my process right, but I didn't get the results that I expected. But we kept that position in Stock Advisor. Stock Advisor members held on to the stock, and a year or two ago, it got bought out by Endurance Specialty at a premium. By that time, the stock had risen more than a double, about a hundred percentage points ahead of the S and P 500. So that was 2006 to 2015, and then a happier ending happened earlier this year when Endurance Specialty. Was bought out itself at a forty percent premium by a Japanese insurance company, and so we've recently sold Endurance Specialty altogether from Motley Fool Stock Advisor. And at the end of the day, it was up two hundred seventy percent and two hundred eighty-five percent, respectively, for those two two thousand six positions. Both of those. About 150 or more points above the S&P 500. So I'm trying to close the loop there with you and show that if you do have good process in place and you just keep it going, even if you don't get those initial results, I think you can walk away pretty happy. So yes, I'm a big fan of process, and yes, I'm a big fan of results, and I think the key here is keeping your eye on both. Excellent question. Thank you, James. Go Cubs. Mailbag item number four, and I have to share this one because it's from a former Motley Fool summer intern, Jake Silverstein. Jake at JakeSilve13. Jake, you just said RBI podcast, awesome interview with Candace Millard. Love the emphasis on primary sources. Excited to read your, I.E. Candace's work. Uh, great to hear from you, Jake. I agree. I thought her emphasis on primary sources was remarkably important, especially in an age where people aren't fact-checking as much what's happening out there. They're taking too much for granted. And I think Candace's excellence partly, although only partly, lies in that focus on finding the original sources and making sure that unadulterated it goes into her books as she tells stories of American history. Jake, hope things are going well with you. And now, our final item this month, It's mailbag item number 5. I've got a special guest joining me because I wanted some help answering this excellent question. Next one up comes from Stephanie. Stephanie says, Hi, David. I'm a listener since the beginning of your podcast, and our recent interaction on Twitter pushed me to write this email. I don't remember what it was, but I kind of feel bad if I pushed anybody to do anything on Twitter. (laughs) I think
1: she's saying it was very inspiring, David.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Stephanie, you're already hearing the voice of Robert Brokamp, who is making a cameo guest appearance on this week's Rule Breaker Investing for a very good reason. Because I want Robert to speak to your question. I'm going to now present it. You said, Stephanie, I have a question that keeps popping up in my mind I've never taken the time to ask. The question is, I'm in my 30s, and about to start a new job. From the beginning, I want to set up automatic investing for 15-20% to of my income for retirement." Let me just say, smoking good percentage. Wow, that is remarkable. My plan, she goes on, is this. First, I will maximize my Roth IRA. Second, if my employer matches a part of my 401k contribution, which I would hope her employer would, I will do that up to their maximum match contribution. Beyond that, and here comes the question, Robert: Beyond that, if they don't match or if there is still money left over, where should I put my remaining money? Are there any other post-tax options like the Roth IRA? Thanks, Stephanie says. Now, the reason we have Robert is because this is a great question for the Motley Fool Answers podcast, for Rule Your Retirement, and for something we'll talk about right after your answer, Robert, which is a new thing we're debuting here at the Motley Fool. But I'm absolutely delighted. Thank you for, I, I think I pulled you out of a meeting or something to just come
1: and answer this question. <laughs> it is my pleasure to be here, David. So, what do you think of Stephanie's question? Well, first of all, let's take it piece by piece. And as you suggested, her savings rate is very good. Actually, for an article a couple of months ago, I did a survey of various studies that analyzed how much you should be saving at various points in your life. And for someone who is in their early 30s, saving 15 to 20% is great. They're going to be on track to retire in their mid 60s. And in that savings rate, you would put in, you would include how much you're contributing to your accounts as well as any match you're receiving. Mm -hmm. So, if you're going to put in 15 20% and you're going to get a match on top of that, pretty good. Good on you. Right, exactly. Now, for the other part of your question, the conventional wisdom actually is, if you're going to get a match from your employer, you start there first. You take full advantage of that match and then switch over to the Roth IRA. So, get the match. It is a good idea then to go to the Roth IRA because the truth is, the average 401k plan is actually not very good. You don't have that many options. Often they're at least of middle expense, sometimes high expense. Mm. You go to the Roth IRA that you open up with a discount broker. You have a you have the options of many funds, many stocks, many ETFs at a low cost. So that's very smart to do as well. Very foolish. The contribution limit for a Roth IRA for someone of your age in 2016 is $5,500. Contribution limit for a 401k in 2016 is $18,000. So you can get a lot of money in there. You had mentioned asking about other tax-free options, options besides the Roth IRA. The 401k at your office might be a Roth. It might have that Roth option. So if you want lots of Roth assets, which is a great idea, especially if you are younger in a lower tax bracket today, then you can get $2,300, 500, 000, twenty-three hundred, five hundred, twenty-two thousand, twenty-three thousand five hundred dollars in Roth assets. Mm. That's a lot of money. You probably don't need to go beyond that. Now, if your four hundred one K at work is just horrible, you max it. First of off. all, you need
0: to sit down with your administrator, right? You do. I mean have a have a heart to heart.
1: You do. And um there are a couple of I think the most compelling thing you can say to people in your HR department to convince them to get a better four hundred one K is that is this is your retirement too. You're contributing to this plan as well. So we're all in this together. Let's see what we can do to make a better plan. If, however, you've either maxed out all those accounts or your 401k is so bad you don't want to put any more in it beyond the match, go to a regular taxable brokerage account and look for stocks that don't pay dividends because you don't want to have to pay taxes on the dividends every year until retirement, but that you're willing to hold on for years and years and years, hopefully decades. Because as long as you hold on for 10, 20 years, you never pay taxes on that. It's only when you sell, and then when you do sell, it is at long-term capital gains rate which, according current to current law, is a lower tax rate. Mm-hmm. It's not as good as tax-free, but it still is somewhat tax-deferred because you're not paying taxes until you sell. For me, the quintessential stock that fits this bill is Berkshire Hathaway, a stock that I own. doesn't pay a dividend, very widely diversified, I'm very comfortable buying that stock and saying, I'm going to hold that for a really long time.
0: Awesome. So, Robert, first of all, thank you. Outstanding answer. Stephanie, I hope that was helpful, and if not, I know you'll let us know on Twitter. Uh, Robert, while I have you just another extra minute here, talk a little bit about The Motley Fool's Wealth Defender.
1: It is a bundle of three of our existing services. My service, which is Real Retirement, Inside Value, and Income Investor. And What we're really trying to do is offer portfolio guidance for people who are a little more conservative. It might be just because they don't want to take all the ups and downs of a completely all-stock portfolio, mm-hmm. or it might be because they are close to or in retirement, and you're at a stage of life where you shouldn't be taking a lot of risk. So when you put those three together with my early retirement service, I have model portfolios that are a mix of cash, stocks, and bonds. So those already have are a little more conservative than your all-stock portfolio. And then when you look at income investor. It is a service that provides dividend-paying stocks recommendations for dividend-paying stocks, which historically have been a little less volatile in the overall stock market. Plus, because you're getting that income, it's sort of a more—it's not a guaranteed return, but it's a more predictable return. Indeed. Right. And then we have Inside Value, which picks value-oriented stocks, stocks that are selling at a price that the advisor estimates is Below its intrinsic value Mm -hmm. and historically have been less volatile than the overall stock market.
0: And a market beating service as well, which is a wonderful aspect. And and so Wealth Defender is a new package that we're just offering as of this week, I think. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. All right, good.
0: All right, Robert, I send you back to all the much more important things you're doing here at the Motley Fool, but thanks a lot for this cameo and let's do it again sometime. It would be great. Alright, well, time's up this week. I'm excited to announce next month we're going to have a theme for Rule Breaker Investing. It's one of my favorite themes. We haven't done that yet in our first year and a half of this show. and It's going to be on entrepreneurism. It's for entrepreneurs. It's going to be Entrepreneur Month for Rule Breaker Investing. I'm going to try to focus and highlight some entrepreneurs, some advice for entrepreneurs. A lot of us are small business owners, or some of us, probably, I hope some of my listeners are large business owners, or maybe you're just a prospective business owner. I'm really excited to welcome in some of the, my favorite people that I know who've started businesses or give advice to entrepreneurs. So That's the focus of Rule Breaker Investing throughout the month of November. And yes, we'll be talking investing, too, because I have at least one of those where I'll be picking some stocks. And in fact, I'm excited to announce that next next week's show my guest star will be Jamie Stegmeier. Now, if you're a gamer, you might know Jamie. If you're a Kickstarter fan, you might know Jamie, but many of you may not. And so I want to make it clear that this is one of the better game designers of our time right now, an American game designer who is a master of Kickstarter. He has demonstrated how to raise millions of dollars on Kickstarter for board games, of all things. In fact, Jamie's even written a book on how to succeed at Kickstarter. So I'm going to interview him next week and ask him what he's learned about Kickstarter and about entrepreneurism and share that back out with you. And, of course, we'll have a few other Foolish Delights. In the meantime, have a great week! Go Cubs! Fool on! As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.